Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. We're going to circle back around to this, and it's all going to make sense later. But um, here's what I want to do is I want to bring up Cammie, who is awesome, Jeff's wife. And I'm not just saying it because it's Jeff's wife and Jeff's my boss, but she is awesome. And um, and, and we've kind of started doing this thing um, where we take a spot and, and it, it just kind of gives you a little bit more insight into something that we like to call confessions of a teen's mom. And so uh, so that's what we're about to jump into, Cammie Summers. They, they, were, they were real funny because they were like... I thought you were a teen when you became a mom. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a teen's mom, apostrophe S. That's why <laughs> I'm confessing about how hard it is. It's, it's funny because Jeff gets up here and, and he says such great stuff. And I'll tell you, even as his wife, as I listen to him, I'm like, oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> and so as we were talking, he's been doing Parent You for a while. And I was like, somebody needs to get up there and tell them that this doesn't work out in our home the way that you say it, <laughs> I didn't know that would mean I would get to be the one to share. <laughs> no, no, I'm excited to be here. Um, so that's why I come and I confess to you. It's not some kind of bizarre thing. It's just that I want you guys to know, Jeff and I both want you to know that there's what you know in your head, and then there's what you do. And sometimes those two things are very different. And so... Um, last time I was here, I shared with you guys about um, how I was struggling with nitpicking and being critical. And um, and so, my name is Cammie Summers, and I am the mother of a teen. And it's been about a month since my last confession. You're getting closer together. And um, in that month, I can honestly say it's gone surprisingly well. So I'm kind of getting to share with you guys a good update. Um, well, I mean, there was that one blow-up that we had about two weeks after I spoke with you guys. Um, last time when I shared, I, I, it was very easy for me to confess to you guys. You guys are a lovely group of people. And I would love to tell you that I went home and you know, implemented everything and was nice to my daughter all of a sudden, but we had two weeks that were really hard. Two weeks where I continued to nitpick, I continued to tell her everything she did wrong. Her irritations just drove me, Nate, crazy. And it culminated in this big talk. You guys ever had a talk? We had a talk. And so... Tears were shed, both hers and mine, and harsh words were spoken. Consequences were dealt out. New strategies for changing things were developed. And it was a really hard conversation. But it ended really sweetly, and that's the part that I'm most excited to share because at the end of our conversation, just like I've confessed to you guys, I actually confessed to her. And I asked her, I said, darling, sometimes I get mean, and sometimes I'm unkind, and sometimes I, I will self-sabotage our relationship, and I need Jesus. 
and I need you to pray for me. When you see me getting harsh and mean and unkind, I need you to take me to the Lord and tell the Lord to get a hold of my heart and to refill me with love for you. And she was surprised. You know, here is this, you need to, you need to, and we need to, and da, 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 da. And then I really told her, I said, I'm doing it wrong when I make you feel small. It's not okay for me to do that. And so I need you to pray for me. And she was surprised. And then I said, now, you tell me, how can I pray for you? And she shared with me, and we prayed together. And it was a very sweet ending to weeks of struggle. Well, I could tell she was praying for me because that week she made a big mess on the table and left it for me the next day, joy, joy, to get up to. And normally that would have just set me off, you know, like flames and revolving head and, you know, venom spewing out. Um, But I found the Holy Spirit changing my heart. And instead I had this moment of, oh, look, she worked really hard. Oh, Lord, thank you. She's a hard worker. And then I was like, where'd that come from? (laughs) It was a different response than I've had before. This table is driving me nuts. It keeps going down. Um, So I could see a difference in me in the Lord changing my heart towards her. And so when she got home from school, I was excited to share with her. And I said, honey, scripture says the prayers of a righteous woman availeth much. And I can tell that you've been praying for me because I'm actually responding differently. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you must not be very righteous. And I went, and she goes, because your prayers aren't bearing the same fruit in me. (laughs) I was like, yeah, backhand up. <laughs> it was good. It was good. And actually, we laughed about it. And, and we have been laughing more together. And that's been really sweet because I think God has given me new eyes to see the preciousness of our time together. Um, this, this past May, we had a flood in our basement. And so part of the restoration process has been us rethinking the use of space in our house. And we had two kids that were sharing a room upstairs together, and we thought, well, we could move Tirza to the basement, and she would get her own room, and then everybody could have their own room. And so all summer, we were kind of working to that end, and then this past Labor Day was moving day. And so we carried her loft bed down the two flights of stairs, and we set her all up in the basement. And that night, Jeff went to tuck her in, and he came upstairs, teary-eyed, and he's like, our little girl is growing up. And I looked at him, and I was like, you're ridiculous. She's in the basement. She slept down there lots. It's not this big deal. It's not this big move. And I laughed at him. And then that night, I crawled into bed, and I laid down on the pillow, and this rush of adrenaline went through me. What if she needs me? What if she cries out and she can't, I can't hear her because she's so far away. And I'm realizing that her whole life she's been two doors down the hallway from me. And now she's committed to being two whole flights of stairs downstairs. And I'm laying in bed and I've got these visions of a move just three years away when she'll be so much farther than two flights of stairs down. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is hard. This is way harder than I want it to be. And, and I'm not sure I'm ready for her to grow up. 
And it's funny that the move on Monday was followed by on Thursday, she went and she got her learner's permit. Now, I'll be honest, I was driving that one. (laughs) Ha, 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 get the pun, driving, learner's permit. Um, I told her, in, in, in Georgia, you have to have your learner's permit a whole year before you can get your license. And I have three carpools for noon, and I have, you know, football to take to in ballet, and, and, and I'm excited about her getting her driver's license right now before she does it. I'm excited. <laughs> and so I told her when she turned 15, okay, you have one year, and then I stop driving you. So you can take, get your permit whenever you want, but in one year, I stopped driving you. And she was like, Mom. And I was like, you know, I don't want to drive you forever. And so this past Thursday, we went and we got our driver's license. And it was this moment. And I was completely shocked because I had this sense of loss. Every time she takes a step towards adulthood, there's a part of me going, yes, she got her permit. I won't have to drive her forever. And there's this part of me that's wrapped around her ankle going, no, you're too little. The world is hard. You're not ready. And I feel this conflict inside me between these two pieces of me, one that wants her to grow up and one that wants her to stay little. Do any of you feel that? (sighs) The move from the basement and the learner's permit are just the first stretches of my baby bird's wing as she prepares to take flight. And there's a part of me that wants to clip her wings, that wants her to stay close by, that wants her to be safe and wants me to stay in control. And then I stop, and this picture of Tirza at 45 coming upstairs from the basement to get ice cream flashes before my eyes, and I think, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that either. So I have to trust the Lord in these steps, and I'm reminded that she doesn't belong to me. The Lord has given her to me for a season of training. And as much as I love her, he loves her more. And he loved her before I did. And he sees her journey and the steps that will lead her to an eternity with him. And all I see is a little picture. I see a little picture. My sight is so short. And so, just like that night when I began to grieve the loss of her nearness because she was in the basement, and that moment drove me to pray fervently for her and for me, I think these steps are supposed to drive us to our knees. Um, You know, she started her life right beneath my heart. And she carries my heart with her wherever she goes. 
that's the hardest part, right, of having kids is that it's your heart walking outside you. And there's a part of you that wants to protect them because it's, it's protecting you too because they're part of you. But I guess what I've learned just in this past week is just kind of the reality of the truth that I have to trust my heart to the Lord in her. And I have to trust her that as she takes those first steps of freedom, as she begins to spread her wings and fly, that it's the Lord that's going to catch her. I can't. So, to wrap up my confession to you, I want to confess that it's hard. And I'm struggling with it. And when I want her to be independent and grown up, she wants to be little. And when I want her to be little and stay safe and not have opinions, she wants to be big. The next morning after she moved to the basement, I was all prepared for her wanting to move back upstairs because it was dark in the basement and she was all alone. And I was kind of like, oh, this will be blow over and it was a good idea and we tried it, but really she'll move back up. And she loved it. She loved the independence of being in the basement. And so I'm brought back to the truth that um, I want that for her. I want her to be able to go to sleep in a big, dark place and, and know that she's safe, not because I'm right down the hall, but because the Holy Spirit and God is her protector. And she is safe because she is in his hand. And I want her to know that as she takes the wheel to drive, that as my presence becomes less and less necessary, that God is leading her where she wants to go. And so I share with you that the process is slow and sometimes painful because God is not only preparing them to go, but he's preparing us to let him go, let them go. So let me pray for all of us. Dear God, we just come before you, and I just, I just praise you that you are God and that you are infinitely wise and that you are ultimately sovereign and that you hold each of our teens in your hand and you are doing a work in each of their lives that is so much bigger than we can see or know and that at the end of the day, we can rest in your sovereignty in their lives. Lord, teach us the balance between helping and hindering. Give us wisdom to discern when we should push and when we should hold and when we should just be quiet. Lord, we need you as parents because this is hard and often we fail. And so we need you as our Savior to come in and Save us from ourselves. Save us from destroying our relationship with our teens. Save us from our own tendency to want to be in control. Save us from anything that would 
hinder us from seeing you or hinder our children from seeing their own need for Jesus. And so I just pray for Jeff today as he comes and challenges each of us that you would prepare our hearts, that we would walk away with new eyes to see our teens as you see them, as baby birds learning to fly, and that we would have an endless store of love for them that comes from you and that you would give us wisdom and discernment because of his sharing. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You know, this parenting stuff is difficult, and uh, the teen years can be really rough, and they can be sweet, and they can be difficult. We are in a series right now called Your Kid is Awesome, and the reason we started this series was because sometimes it's hard for us to remember that our kids are awesome. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those stretches with your teenager where things are just hard for a season, and it seems like every time you're having a discussion, you're correcting, or it's an argument, or uh, something like that. It's really easy to get in that pattern. And so sometimes we need to be reminded, hey, there are things about uh, our child that are awesome and need to be celebrated. And if you missed last week, which we, we, last month, I'm sorry, we had Parent U, we started the series then, and it was before school started, and so I know it's kind of like uh, we're all in the summer schedule still, and uh, maybe, you know, that was a, we, we wish we'd waited till this, this month to start, because now everybody's like, hey, oh wow, there's stuff going on. So, uh, sorry about that, but it, there is a podcast from last week, last month, if you want to check that out. Um, tonight, today we're talking about, obviously, your, your budding independence of your child, they are growing in independence, and it is something we can celebrate, and it's something we should promote and celebrate. And if you've been to Parent You before, you know that preparing our kids for independence is a major theme that runs through everything that I do, and that is because that's our job as parents, is to get them ready for the world that we live in and how they can be successful and live and please God and have a Christian world and life view as they enter into adulthood, and that's what, that's what we're after. So in thinking about this, uh, I, I hope that was fun for you to think about, as Cammie and I have been instructing Tirza, our daughter, about um, things we did in high school. It's amazing how independent we were um, when we were younger and how even that changes relationships. I can remember uh, Mark was mentioned, mentioned this uh, he's, when we started talking about this this week. He said, you know, I remember right after I moved out, my respect for my dad just went like through the roof and things he said I, because he was suddenly independent and he started taking on the responsibilities that his dad had always had. And I don't know if you had that experience. I mean, I, when you kind of finally moved out, did your parents just suddenly their stock just started to go up? You know, it, it, it sure did for me. Uh, interestingly, I moved away from, an hour away from my dad when I was 18 um, and we had, our, we had like a, a two-hour phone conversation long distance back in the 80s. You remember when you were an hour away and it was long distance? Um, and he called me, and we talked for two hours, and it was like the longest conversation we'd had in two years at least um, because I just was never home when I was a teenager. Uh, and so it was just amazing to me how much that can help those relationships um, and independence. He also just, the other things that I took on you're going to have to go way back, right? You remember when we had the, the channel, the TV, where you turned the little knob, right? And, the, and we had an acre and a half that I had to mow with a push mower. And, you know, this was, and we, and we had an, you know, you had to answer the phone that was actually on the wall instead of the one in your pocket. You remember all that? 
Okay, like I moved out and my dad bought an answering machine, a riding lawnmower, and a remote control TV. <laughs> like a, a month after I moved out. And it was, I couldn't believe it. I said, what is going on? Apparently, I was just the slave when I was home. <laughs> but I'm following in my dad's footsteps. I mean, as soon as my son, Jace, he's 12, every year I'd get him out and say, can you push the lawnmower, please, Lord? You know? <laughs> And finally, he was strong enough, you know, and he's, the little guy is out there, and I'm like, yes, I'm never mowing the lawn again. So Jace has chained to the lawnmower now, and that's one of his chores, and I'm so excited about that independent move uh, that he can do. Well, think about this growing independence. When did you have to make a decision that was difficult, that your parents didn't make for you or didn't help you make? Or maybe they helped you make it, but, the, but they made you decide. I mean, can you remember that? Can you, or can you remember the first major decision that you did that was against your parents' wishes or their wisdom said, hey, I would go here, but they would go right, but you went left. How hard was that to do? I, it was difficult for me. I still remember two or three decisions. I went the opposite way, and I was in my 20s when I made decisions that my dad was like, well, I really think you should do this. And I was like, oh, but, I, you know, it was hard. It was difficult. Um, did you control your schedule when you were a teen? Did you know, think about that. How, how in charge were you of your homework, of your schedule, of your sporting, uh, of all the different things that you did? And now think about what you're doing with your kids. Is it, do they have that kind of freedom? You know, maybe you were really, you're enmeshed with your parents and they controlled everything and now you give your kids a lot of freedom or maybe the opposite. You know, think about what that looks like. And that's kind of what we want to talk about again is, is growing independence. We're going to go to scripture because I don't ever want to just tell you what I think. Um, you get a lot of that too, but I want to I make sure that we, we go to the Bible. So we're going to look at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it will be on the screen if you have your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone, you can go there. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and you know right away when we're in Samuel that we're going to be talking about David uh, or Saul or Samuel, right? That we're going to talk about one of them. And this is David um, when he was young, and so it's a, it's a great example for us to go to. Uh, starting in verse 33, and Saul said to David, now let me give you the context. This is right when uh, David shows up and Goliath, right? It, m- most of you should be aware of this story. You, should, you probably know it, where David is getting ready to face Goliath, and Goliath's been coming out and making all the Israeli armies feel small and you know, challenging them, and everybody's too scared to do anything about it. And David shows up on the scene and he is appalled by what's happening. And so he has this conversation with King Saul and says, I'll go fight him, all right? And Saul, starting in verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him because you are but a youth. Now, we don't know. I did the math one time. I think David was probably around 17 when he killed Goliath. Um, so it's, that's not an exact science, but it is difficult to, to think of that. So, but Clearly, Saul says, you're just a youth. And he has been a man, talking about Goliath, of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw 
of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. All right, now this is a story. You guys are all very aware of this, but you probably never looked at it from the view of parenting before. And there's some pretty interesting things that we can point out here. Now, clearly, the cultural context is different, right? Uh, This is a, a very different time. But I want us to think about this, uh, starting in the, the first point is that he was given charge of something significant. Okay, right from the beginning, David was in charge of the flocks. And you see that if you go back a few chapters, when Samuel came to anoint the king, and they, he, he saw all the sons of Jesse, right? He was going down through the sons, and then he said, none of these guys are the king that I'm supposed to anoint to replace Saul. Where, where is Where's, do you have another son? He's like, oh yeah, there's David. But where was David? What was he doing? He was watching the sheep. And so he said, well, go get him. He's out watching the sheep. Now, back then, in that context, sheep equaled money, right? Go read about Job. In the first couple chapters of Job, all it talks about, Job was super wealthy. And why? Because he had herds of cattle and herds of sheep and herds of camels and herds, of, right? Sheep is money. Sheep equal, you know, a lot of uh, of wealth. And so he was put in charge of something significant in that culture. Um, what are our opportunities to put our kids over things where they have a chance to be over something significant? It says a lot about them and to them when you put them in charge of something significant, right? Uh, when you give, like what Cammy's talking about, when we're not there yet, but if you give the keys of your car to a child, <laughs> you're saying, hey, this is pretty significant, Right? And it is a huge step for, in our culture, that kind of thing, right? Uh, when you open a bank account for your child or give them uh, their first debit card, or those are, those are landmarks for us to say, I want you to put you over something significant. Or maybe uh, a job. Maybe they get their first part-time job or things like that. I mean, these are all steps of independence that we want to encourage our kids to take these steps, especially while they're at home so that we have an opportunity to coach them while they're going through these things. Okay, uh, like even it can be, here's an example. Jace uh, plays football, my 12-year-old, and he, we put him in a, a league. Well, first, printed an offer football. But one of the things that we try to do is get him outside the bubble, right? We're, we're in the bubble. My kids go to PCS. My daughter's in Duluth now, so she's outside the bubble. But my other kids are safely tucked into the bubble. Yeah, it's a, and it's a wonderful place. I love the bubble. But it's not, the bubble isn't always preparing our kids for, for life in the world, and we gotta, we got to keep that in mind. And so we put Jason in public football in Duluth, and it is a wild cross-cultural experience for us, let me tell you. We are there. Uh, he is one of the only, um, there's two Anglo kids on his team, and it's great for us to be just interacting and, and getting into the Duluth, and, and it's, it's wonderful. But it's for him, the first year, first they lost every game, very hard for him to deal with that, and a lot of opportunities for us to coach him and, and support him and 
make him think about what's important and what is he learning. And it was hard, and he wanted to quit sometimes. And so a lot of opportunities were given. But then the other thing is his coach was in their faces yelling and super negative. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that experience with your kid? Or has your kid ever, and and I'll tell you what it made me want to do. When I would hear the coach berate them after a loss, you know what was going on inside of me? Was, I need to go straighten that guy out. Right? But here's the thing. You're going to have a boss one day who's probably going to berate you about something that's not your fault. And how do you have the fortitude to handle that? How do you know how to contextualize that in your life? Well, I mean, I remember I joined the military when I was 19, and I went straight to boot camp. And you want to talk about somebody in your face. You get a drill sergeant. He woke us up the first day by throwing a metal trash can down the, down the bay and then just started yelling. Okay, and I saw more grown men cry that, that in those three months. And I had had coaches yell at me my whole life, though. I had had my public high school coaches, basketball, football, in my face, telling me you know, I was worthless or whatever. Or, you know, and so the drill sergeant was not that big a deal to me. I knew it was not real, or I knew what was real. And so we want to we wanna go in and rescue them, but we need to be thinking about the world that they're going to live in and how can we prepare them We can't control other people, but we can prepare them and prepare their hearts. And so in thinking about that for independence, how how do we do that? Second thing, point out in this. David was allowed to face danger. Serious danger. All right, if I told you all next month, hey, we got a great watershed trip planned. We're going to the jungle. I'm taking your kids out. There's going to be lions and tigers and bears. But don't worry, we have a stick and some slings. And your kid probably will kill a bear or a lion while we're there. How many of you would let your kids go? None of you, right? None of you. And yet, David's dad said, hey, go watch the sheep. Did he know there was going to be lions and bears? Yeah. Now, I just have to say David is a a stud. I mean, anybody who would grab, I mean, when he says, I grabbed him by the beard, I mean, think of that. And he's like killing the lion Ah, that is amazing, first of all. I can't even imagine what that was like. But David, I mean, it says in verse 24, I'm sorry, it says, uh, when there came a lion or a bear, verse 35, he said, I went after them. So now I'm telling you, if I was doing it and a lion came and took one of my sheep, I'd be like, all right, you have that one. I've got the rest. We're going to go over here. And I would just avoid that. But he's like, okay, the sheep are fine. I'm going after and I'm saving that lamb and I'm killing that lion. Unbelievable. So how old was he when he was doing this? If he killed Goliath at 17, did he start killing bears and lions at 15? Probably. Okay? It's pretty amazing. Now, it is a different time. We are not even near anything like that. But if he could face that kind of danger, what, we are scared to let our kids face dangers. We don't like putting them in a situation where they have to make a choice like that. Um, what was the result of his independence? Now, this is important, okay? The next thing is he, he talks about how he killed them. Um, and he said in verse 37, and this is awesome, he said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, 
and he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. He took the situations that he was in and said, wow, I've been through really hard things. And as a result of being through really hard things, I turned to the Lord and he delivered me from those. And now I'm facing something that's even harder. And because of what God has done in and through me before, I know that he can do this in and through me now. Okay, so he is going to take me in and through the situation that I'm facing now. Um, this is, as we move into parenting, I, I think about this almost like a tightrope walker, okay? That we, as parents, when our kids are little, they get up on the, high, on the wire, right? And we're like, oh, no, they're going to they're gonna fall. And we are holding the net. We're the parents, and we're saying, okay, you can go out on the wire because we've got it. We've got the net. Okay, and that is the situation that, that we're in and that we want, right? We want to we wanna hold that, but we got to be careful about that. Um, we really, I want to I challenge you to say that we want to move from that into a place where there is no net. And why is that important? Because we move from the place when there is no net. When David's out with the sheep by himself, dad's not... You know, I was watching uh, Bear Grylls uh, the other day, the Bear Grylls uh, Get Out Alive, or his new TV show, and he's always like around the rock with some binoculars, you know, watching there. Oh, they're going down the mountain, and Bear's right there, you know. We can't do that. I don't think David's dad was like around the rock. I mean, maybe at first he was, probably, it's possible. But later on, when he saw that David could handle himself, there was no net, and David was out there by himself, and we have to put him in that position. And why is that so important? It's important because then they have to rely on God to catch them, right? If they fall, the one who catches them is God. And this is how we grow our faith. This is how we grow. He could not have faced Goliath if he hadn't done the other things, okay? And I'm just saying from a parenting perspective, Jesse put him in that position, right? To, to grow in responsibility, to grow in courage, and to rely on the Lord in order to do that. Um, and now the last thing, Keep in mind, though, and, and this is, when, you know how they train tightrope walkers? I've heard this anyway. I don't know if this is true because I've never been a tightrope walker. But my understanding is that they first start out with the wire on the ground, and then they raise it up a couple feet off the ground. And the little kids go, you know, it's two feet off the ground. And then they raise it five feet off the ground. And they just keep raising the wire. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense, right? We need, as age-appropriate, Jace is in sixth grade. I don't put him on the wire at the same height that I put Tirza, who's 15, right? And your 18-year-old better be on a pretty high wire because they're going off to school soon. So we need to keep that in mind as well in the situations that we're putting them in. Uh, And then how did David, the other thing that I want to point out here is David learned how to think by being on his own. He learned how to think. And that's part of what we want to do is teach our kids how to discern and how to have wisdom And this is so important because you see it at the end of this passage when Saul tries to put that armor on David, right? Saul puts the armor on David, and what does he say? Like, this isn't going to work for me. Now, how would Saul, I mean, how would David know the armor was not going to work for him if he didn't have the life experience? He tried it on. If David had no experience and Saul put that armor on him, what would he have done? He would have gone out in the armor. But because he had the experience, he said, this is not the way I can work. I don't operate like this. Speed is going to be important. I need to have my arm free in order to move the sling, and I can't do that with this chain mail. And he 
knew what he needed to do because he had the experience and he knew how to think and discern and problem solve. I would have been intimidated. Saul would have said, put the armor on. I'd have said, yes, sir, I'll put it on. That's what I need. And it would have been the wrong thing. If your kid's not making their own decisions and we're not putting them in a situation where they have to think about it themselves, that's where we start becoming the coach, which is difficult, right? We don't tell them what to do anymore. We have to become the coach. Um, I'm going to run through these things really quick. Have you ever heard the term helicopter parent? Okay. Helicopter parenting is a a newer phenomenon since about the year 2000. It started being written about widely. And I'll read you the definition. It's a parent who says, who pays extremely close attention to a child or children's experience and problems, particularly at educational institutions. Okay. They're named, so named because they hover like helicopters around their kids. Um, Interestingly, this came into vogue because parents started getting involved in their kids at college. That's when they started being written about because parents were calling their kids to wake them up to go to class at school, at the university, and then calling their teachers and berating their teachers, the professors, because of the grades they gave their kids. And that's how this whole thing kind of started. Uh, And that's why you, you can find it, and it's been written about quite a bit. Uh, and it seems to have come in vogue primarily because of the cell phone. And that makes sense. Uh, one writer uh, called the cell phone the world's longest umbilical cord. Now think about that. Even just in our context, when I was talking earlier, when you were a teenager and you were away from your parents and you had a difficult situation arise, you had to decide what to do. And now you don't. Now your kid who's away from you has a difficult decision. Something's going on. They don't know what to do. They got the lifeline, right? They call you. And if you continue to answer that phone, they will call you until they're 40. Right? And that's going to keep happening. Um, We don't want to be helicopter parents. So I'm going to hit these real quick. What are the barriers to training our kids for independence? All right? And, and, And here's the barriers. One is... Their dependence feeds something in us. We like to be needed. It is fun to be needed. We want our kids to need us. It makes us feel good when our kids rely on us and need us, and we want to be involved in their lives. There's nothing wrong with those things. We want that, but it is a deterrent. It's a barrier for giving them independence. Is it, it does feed something in us. It gives us a sense of purpose. Uh, a lot of, uh, especially moms, this happens with, I, I think, more than, than dads, but when uh, uh, the empty nest happens, right, especially if you've been a homemaker and you've been home the whole time and you've poured and poured and poured into your kids, it, there's such a loss when they're all gone. And part of that is, is you, that sense of being needed, right, and, and having something to do. Um, second thing, fear, okay? We fear that they're going to fail. We fear they're going to choose the wrong thing. We fear they're going to get hurt, kind of like with Jace mowing the lawn, right? A lot of people will be like, you let your 11-year-old mow the lawn? I, my, mine would cut his foot off. Okay, well, yeah, is that possible? Sure it is, but I have to coach him not to how to mow and not, not to mow where you would slide under the mower. I mean, you have to go through those things. So, but there is fear of that, okay, uh, that I don't want them to get hurt. And then there's fear that I'm going to get hurt by their failing. Sometimes we need to make sure that the fear isn't to protect me from what they're going through, okay? Um, the next one, we don't want them to do it wrong. Have you ever had that? I, I had an experience. I have a relative 
who I went camping with, Cammie and I did years ago, and their kids, when their kids were little. And he was kind of a perfectionist, and I didn't even know it at the time because he wasn't like an obnoxious perfectionist. Yeah, but I remember we were setting up camp, and we were, we were camping with them, and I went around, and there was like a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be done, and I knew what needed to be done. So I took like three of the things in setting up camp, and I went around, and I did those, and then we were building the fire, and Cammie and I were sitting down, and we were starting to enjoy it. And this relative, he was talking to me, and he was going around and redoing everything that I had done. I mean, it, very joyfully, he wasn't going like, oh, you did this wrong. Like, none of that. He just, I didn't tie the knots the way he wanted them. I didn't stack the wood the way, you know, whatever his standard was, I didn't meet it. And he just went around quietly, but I noticed. I mean, I was like, you are redoing everything that I did. Now, what do you think my response was in that, the rest of the camping trip, for one thing? I didn't want to do anything. I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. I'll just wait for him to do it because I do it wrong. He's just going to go redo it. Now, what if you're growing up in that household? Same thing. And you teach your kids not only not to think, but not to help, not to do anything because you can't meet mom and dad's standard. And that is that we have to change our standards. Okay, when my kids start, Cammie made a joke. She said, I don't know where anything is in my kitchen, okay, because we make the kids unload the dishwasher. And it's not up to her standard, and she doesn't, they don't put things where we want them to all the time. But you have to give that up if you want them to learn to put away the dishes, Right? If you want them to do the laundry, it's going to be wrinkled and folded, and some shirts are going to turn pink. It's going to happen, and they're going to ruin stuff. And then you coach, and then you come alongside, and you say, no, we got to do it this way. we got to do it that way. I'm not going to do the laundry when you go off to college, so you got to learn how to do it. And we coach them and help them learn how to do this. Um, last thing, and this is the most important one, Okay. In, in developing your kids' independence, do you really trust the providence of God? Do we really trust God with our kids? When we push them out of the nest and let them be independent and let them fly on their own, do we really trust? And that is the hardest one. Uh, Matthew 10, 29. Are two sparrows not sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Okay, if a bird doesn't fall to the ground somewhere in the world without God knowing about it, he knows your kid is in the dorm at the university. He's aware that they're behind the wheel of the car. He is aware that their coach is yelling at them, right? I mean, you can take it to any number of independent steps you're taking with your child. God knows what they're doing, and he loves them more than you do. He cares about them more. And if they have a problem or a trial or a struggle, he has foreordained, according to our theology, that they will have that struggle. And he knows, and it doesn't catch him by surprise. He's not like, oh, no, they're going to do that. No, he's like, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. And I knew you were going to struggle in that way. And he is there ready and watching over them. There's another thing that we actually get out of that. It's a benefit you would probably never think of. We connect with God when we suffer as our kids make bad choices. It connects us to a part of God who suffers and mourns over our sin and over the sin of his children. When we suffer because of the things that our kids do, we connect to a part of God's suffering. And that's actually biblical. That's a good thing for us to connect to him in that way. Um, I'm going to close with this. Uh, David... One thing we've got to point out about David that a lot of people forget, 
David seems like such an amazing guy, and he was. I mean, he was unbelievably awesome. Uh, when he showed up and he took offense at the Philistine and he went out to slay Goliath. But one of the things about David that made him able to do that was that he had already been anointed the next king. You can't forget about that. He didn't just show up and he was just some guy. Samuel, the prophet of God, had come to his house and poured oil on his head and said, you are special. You are God's. You are the next king. And so when he showed up and saw Saul doing nothing, I think that had to play a huge part for him to say, wait a second, I am the next king. And the Holy Spirit guided him into that thing that he did. And he took confidence from that anointing. We need to be pouring that into our kids as well, right? That they are anointed children of God, that God will be their protector, that God will guide them, and we have to pour that into them as they are growing in their independence and as we are pushing them, as hard as it is, towards their independence. Okay? That's... um, does anybody have any questions or comments about any of this stuff? And then I'll, I'll pray and close this out. We've got about, about five after. Yes. Um, the question is, do we have any great examples of how to let them be in charge of something significant? I mean, a part of it, of what I was thinking about in going back, you know, when they're younger, obviously home chores and things like that are the, uh, the easiest things, and they should take those over more and more. I mean, this is just, again, I don't, you all may have better examples than me, but um, as they're, you know, are putting them in charge of money, in charge of their own money, and making them manage it, for example. I mean, that's like with, with the sheep, taking care of pets even when they're little, right? Start them, start them younger where they have to do that. Taking care of you know, and that grows and grows until maybe they're house-sitting for somebody or they're watching somebody else's dog in the neighborhood or, uh, you know, and those are the younger years. And as they get older, though, do not ever bail them out with their boss, like if they get a part-time job. It's healthier for them to have a part-time job even if they don't. Um, and, and here's the thing we all want to do, and, I, and trust me, there's nothing wrong with Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. It's Christian fast food, and God loves it too, okay? But we all want to send them to Chick-fil-A for their first job. Why? Because we're like, it's a Christian environment, and they're going to be, no. Well, why don't you send them to Sonic for their first job and let them tough it out? Let them have that boss. Let them, have, let them work with a lesbian because they need to know how to do that because that's real life. Now, if they're in public school, they probably already have a lesbian or, you know, or a drug addict in their class already that they're dealing with. I mean, I can remember... Years ago, I had a girl in my youth group, and she was, we were talking, and she said, yeah, I sat down at lunch with this guy, because I was asking her about a week. I sat down at lunch with this guy, and he was, you know, he sells drugs on the side, and he was telling me, um, well, somebody stole my drugs, and I don't know whether I'm going to just beat him up or shoot him in the leg. And that was a conversation this girl had at school at lunch in Charlotte. And I went, that's a little different from my high school experience. <laughs> I didn't really have anybody, you know, weighing those choices. Now, so, so they, they, they learn to discern in their world, and they, grow, and they can grow up really fast in some of these environments. So thinking about, about putting them in a situation where they can interact with the world, and that could be, you know, uh, independence in maybe if they dance, put them in a ballet. I love our ballet here. I got a daughter in ballet here at Perimeter, but 
as she gets older, I need to think, how can I get my daughter out of the bubble again? And in little pieces. Junior high, again, the bricks is fantastic place to go and expose your kid in this way. And it's inconvenient because it's Friday night. I know all that. But hey, go on a date on Friday night. Put your junior high kid at the bricks because there's Christians all over the place. And it's a wholesome place. But there are worldly kids there that they're going to interact with. And it's an it's a, it's a easy first step. Um, part-time jobs, send them away to camps. Okay, now when they really get older, what about an exchange program? Could you, could you send your kid for three months overseas somewhere? Where are you comfortable with that? Yeah, right now you guys are, no, I can't. But you can, right? You really can. That is, now you're really out there then when you're saying, okay, not only will I send them across the street or across the country, but I'll send them across the world. I, ha- I go on mission trips every year, or I used to, and, and my team still does. We go to Thailand. You don't know how many parents, and if you're in here and you're one of these parents, I'm sorry, but, but how many parents are like, I would never send my kid to Thailand you know, with you, and I'm like, I've never killed one or lost a kid. I mean, I've been on hundreds of mission trips. We always bring them all back, and, but something could happen, sure, but let them go. Maybe that's a first step. Let them go overseas on a two-week mission trip where you don't go. See, that's the thing. We were like, yeah, they can go, and I'm going too. <laughs> okay, well, that, that kind of defeats the purpose. All right? I don't know. Yes, going too is when that wire, the high wire is closer to the ground, right? You go when, when you're in junior high, but in high school by then, hey, you want them to have that experience because there are things that they're not going to grow in until they have to do it on their own. And we don't want them doing that when... when we're no longer around and have all that happen in college. That's what I don't want to happen. Somebody else? Another question or comment? Yes. I'm going to make it a little more awkward for you to ask a question. <laughs> it's not a question. It's sort of a follow-up. But, like, let them be in charge of planning a trip, a weekend trip, a camping trip, or even a vacation. That's a great you can let idea. them know, like, we've got this much money or – and then – let them plan the trip and do the whole thing. That's fantastic, yeah. Don't let them drive, though. If they're, if they're like 12, that, would, that, would, that could ruin the trip real fast. Like spring break, Panama City, yeah. plan that kind of trip? Yeah. That's a good idea. Over here. Rip. That's a great idea, though. One of the things that we've done that's really helped, um, we started when they were young, having them order their own food, like at a restaurant um, when they were young, and then having them make their own phone calls, like if they were looking for, we have daughters, if they wanted to know if a store had a certain pair of jeans or something, I'd make them call. Call them and ask. So we tried to teach them um, to become more articulate and confident, speaking with adults and just taking responsibility. And now my daughter's for her school's leading all the service projects, and she did all the calling of all the city of refuge and the places in Atlanta, did all the emailing. She's 15, you know, completely on her own. I wouldn't, I said, you have to make all the contact. So that's something I think that's um, helped them develop a, a healthy sense of independence and confidence in speaking with adults and articulating. So that was just something that we've seen a lot of fruit. And we started young with the ordering your own food um, when they were really, really little. That, yeah, that's a great Simple idea. Simple thing, but I think it really helped them in confidence. I, I was scared to death to call the pizza guy, even as a teenager. I mean, that's so... I. I, I still don't like to call the pizza guy. He, he makes us order his food during the week. That's true. Yeah. I do. 
That's I a do. good idea. My four-year-old does that, but he only orders cookies and french fries. <laughs> Over here, we got one. It's the most exercise I've had in a while. We are actually letting our ninth grader, I'm kind of scared to death about this, go on um, cross-country trip to Florida with Duluth High School next weekend without us. And the two perimeter church kids that are on the team are not going. <laughs> but anyway, it's a big step. And so, you know, he did go to PCS here. So we really feel like he's been equipped and um, just pray that, that will he'll make the right choices there. So yeah, anyway, y'all can pray for us. <laughs> that's huge. Yeah, Tears of Win on her first. She went to FezCon last year with Duluth. And that was hard for me to go, okay, yeah, it's not a Christian trip. I'm not going. I have to trust you. That was tough. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, let me go ahead and say a a prayer. And uh, there's more coffee and donuts. Well, I I think there are. Sorry about killing your diets uh, every month, but we'll keep doing that. Our next Parent You is the first Sunday of the month. We actually have all the dates are on the website um, because we try to do the first Sunday of the month but because of holidays and stuff, it still messes us up. I think for the next two months, we're at the first Sunday. So it's the 6th is the next one, and then the first, the 3rd of November. And then in December, because it's Thanksgiving weekend is the 1st, we actually moved it to the 8th of December. Okay, so it's a little bit wonky in December. And then in January, because when we come back, we also moved it back a couple weeks. So we keep trying to have a set time where you can remember this, but... It is all on the website. All the past parent use or podcasts, or not all of them, but most of them, if you, if you want to, to check those out as well. And thank you guys for being here. Um, our heart is to serve you, but also to build community that we help each other and we need each other because this stuff is difficult. Let me pray and, uh, and let you guys go. Heavenly Father, thank you for these parents and what a, what a joy and a privilege it is to raise kids. Um, but Lord, this culture is difficult to raise kids in, but you're not surprised by that, and you've called us to be parents uh, at this time and in this place. And so you will give us the wisdom and discernment that we need. Help us, Lord, to lean on your providence and know that you love our children uh, more than we do, and that you have given them to us to steward for just a short time. Um, Lord, help us to rely on one another, and most of all, fill us with your spirit as we parent. Uh, Give us courage and wisdom, and we know, Lord, that you're shaping us even as you're shaping them. Uh, Thank you for this church. Uh, Help us to be in a spirit of worship as we go into the worship service, uh, and we love and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the Student Ministries website at www.perimeter.org slash students for more information. Thank you.